The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Welcome along to another special podcast highlighting some of the support and services out there to help businesses adapt in these unprecedented times, where we also get to talk to a great business person who's rising to the challenge of helping the community. Pat McPhee is one of the founders of local agency Indigo and one of the driving forces behind Manaki, a platform that helps give support to local businesses trying to navigate COVID-19 by linking up experts to answer questions from the business community. It's a great service with some of the biggest names in Aotearoa volunteering their time. His company turned it around as a concept, website and launch in just days, part of the fast, agile and responsive way they make content that has impact. Many in the tech scene will know Pat for his role growing the Zero brand across pivotal years, running global media for the company and setting the standard in the local industry. To talk stepping out of our local Big Blue and into Indigo, what they do there, his amazing team, and how you can access Monarchy. Pat joins us now. Kelda, thank you so much for being here. Kelda, Kelda, thank you for having me. Hey, so first up, let's go back to kind of the early days before we chat into um, how people can be be helped uh, through the service. Um, tell me how you first got into making content and into that world. As um, as you studied commerce first, hey, and then got into storytelling. I didn't really study commerce, to be honest. I know it says it on my LinkedIn profile, but I just I, <laughs> I didn't I didn't finish. I, I went to university pretty much, truth be known, to uh, get the student allowance so I could um, get the money to import some fake Nikes from from some fake Nike sunglasses from Mexico and then go sell them at the Otara markets and make a killing. <laughs> so that, <laughs> so that's like, commerce? Like, yeah, yeah, that's commerce. That's <laughs> my interpretation of commerce. Um, but look, I've, I've, um, I, I started my career actually in production as a bit best boy. And so I was just hauling lights around um, television sets and studio locations and just learned from the, from the ground up actually. So, you know, just learned the fundamentals of production um, around lighting and sound and then, uh, you know, how to ride rough shot over a camera and just do all the, all the little things eventually got into um, a little bit of segment directing and um, then producing some content. And then an interesting thing happened when I was, uh, I was producing a show with a, a friend of mine, a mentor who's, who's now passed, but 
uh, and he produced a Māori kids show um, on a Sunday morning called Marae Aerobics. And um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was my first experience in uh, producing something for for mainstream, and uh, it went pretty good. It, it taught me a lot about the, the world of television. But at that time, a friend of mine had just come back from the states, and he was like, "Yo, uh, th this whole internet thing is going off over there. Like, there's this place called Alta Vista, and you can go on and you just like type in what you want to search for." And then you'll, you'll find all this information. And so um, I checked it out and being a hip hop head, I, I, I typed in hip hop. And at that time, there was a, it was called BMG, the record label back then, at least BMG Arista. And they had this website out of the States called Peeps International. It was just all text, but it had like a real cool header image, just like Peeps International. And just all this latest hip hop news. And this is like 96 or something, 97. And um, I was sold. I was like, the internet is the future. <laughs> and I'm going to start making video for the internet. And then like, nah, it was way too early. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's um, something so cool about the world of production, hey, and that um, it's kind of like lots of little businesses and that everyone gets the budget and you run it to, um, to, to you know, you first got to pitch someone and like win over the client and then you've got to have a vision for it and then you've got to make it run to the budget. And also the attitude of everyone in that world. It's like no one says no in film. They just say, yeah, but we're probably going to need a bit more budget and a bit more time. And there's that really cool kind of attitude that um, that I found really infectious in that world. Well, all the co-puppers, right, you know, they give their time and you get all these incredible craftspeople working on music videos, um, you know, for local artists. And really, uh, I've always loved the world of music videos and Chris Graham's a mate of mine. And, you know, I think he's one of the OGs and godfathers of New Zealand music video production. And, um, you know, you see these guys uh, trying out a lot of things that they don't normally try in commercial stuff, but then taking the learnings from that into the commercial world. And so sometimes you're in this position where, you know, if you've got the right piece of creative, you have this opportunity for all these wonderful creatives to participate in it. And, um, you know, they do it at, uh, you know, a much lesser cost than it would ordinarily be. But then on the commercial end, you know, if you're in a position where, you know, you've got a good budget and you can pay people great money, then definitely, you know, you, you should definitely do that. But it is, it's um, it's a wonderful industry to, to come up in. And there, there are so many um, small businesses right now inside of that space, you know, one or two man operators that are, they're feeling the pinch right now. Um, yeah, I talked to Nathaniel Lees who, has been helping us out a little bit with Monarchy in the back and he was on two feature films and they've stopped. And, um, you know, that means all the production people from the gaffers to the catering people, to the actors, to the directors, like that's them, they're, they're, all their income is gone. These were their two big projects and it's getting to a sketchy time because it's getting towards the end of the month and, you know, now bills are going to be due. And, you know, this is the time that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit worried, but, I'm leaping too far into the prison. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna. It's a hugely hard time for for the industry here at the moment, isn't it? Um, yeah, let, let, let's let's travel through a few more of those those steps along the way because there's there's a really great story to be shared here. Tell me about Slam X Hype and how you got involved with that because that was kind of one of the real pioneering blogs in the world of streetwear, if anyone's not familiar with it. Uh, at a time where, and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's it's the olden, olden, olden days, but there weren't <laughs> that many um, the blogs, the idea of kind of 
being connected to brands like was so mm. much harder than it is today in the world of Instagram and the like. And just knowing what was on the streets of, of these cities used to be a very physical thing. T- yeah, t- tell me about that excitement of the blog and what, what you did there. Yeah, that was an interesting time. Um, we connected with the founder of that blog, a guy called Adam Bryce through Ben King from um, Golden Horse fame. And so um, Steve Adams, who was my uh, business partner at that time, who I think you know, and um, and I were were um, looking to sort of build a digital portfolio of assets that we had, and and um, he knew Ben, and Ben had connected to Adam when he'd come back to New Zealand um, just to get a break from what was going on in the and just that whole world of hype in New York and and in UK, and so. We connected to him um, back then, and um, uh, we struck up a partnership because we had a, you know, some digital capability, um, and uh, you know, we had a bit of funding to build out a, an asset base of different channels, and so we started to uh, actually produce and run Slam X Hype from um, New Zealand out of Auckland. Uh, we did that for about, oh, I'm going to say about six months, and then we thought it would be best to moved the operation uh, back up to New York. So uh, Adam and his partner at that time um, went back up to New York and uh, really got into that cadence of production that's required around a blog like that. Like you literally have to produce hundreds of pieces of content every day. And it is, although it's about the coolest stuff, winning from a business perspective is just like winning the SEO game because that was the pathway for people to discover content back then. And so we'd be in this really wicked loop of um, trying to get exclusive news from designers or artists or labels and like just hustling to get it up first because our SEO game was so strong. Um, and you know, if, if we got it up second, then Hypebeast would get the edge on us and we'd see a 15% drop in traffic. So as much as it was about that whole hype scene, it was actually very much about the fundamentals of, of doing digital marketing and digital media really well. And so, um, yeah, uh, off the back of that, we also created this really crazy space up in uh, just off of Upper Queen Street on the corner of France and Dacre called Plaything, um, where we, <laughs> we brought in some of the world's dopest um, street sort of urban artists and did like big exhibitions and we had Steve Aoki down for a party. (laughs) It was was a mad time. It was a lot of fun, but you know what? At the end of it, we lost a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hard balance to strike between kind of what's cool and culturally relevant and what kind of is commercial as well. Hey, which is something that is, um, is something that's present across all of production and, uh, and, and that kind of like streetwear world. But at the same time, you were learning a lot of stuff around social media marketing and digital marketing and building community. Hey, because with Socialize, that was the company you had with, with Steve, wasn't it? Yeah. Tell me about some of the projects you were doing there and how yeah, and how, how that got you into that world. Well, super interesting. What, what Slam taught us were the um, fundamentals and the dynamics of doing content at scale on a global level, right? Because that thing was doing you know, a couple of hundred thousand unique visitors a day, a day um, from around the world. A lot of the traffic out of um, Japan, a lot of that traffic out of the US. And so um, that gave us an understanding of the power of content and how to leverage content um, to create an audience. And when you have a fanatical audience like that audience is, 
and you serve that fanaticism, you know, you feed that fanaticism, that engenders this 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 different um, type of loyalty. You know, it's like blood in, blood out type loyalty inside of that clique. And so it's really as we um, stepped away from that a little bit with our tails between our legs, um, but then into uh, video production with Socialize and some of the clients that we started working with straight off, uh, you know, it's those same principles that we put to work. And one of the first clients we did that with was, um, it's called Telecom back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like a history lesson. <laughs> it's called uh, Telecom back then. And what was the XT, the mobile network that they launched? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, with Hammond and stuff on the container. Out. And so we um, took the principles that we learned around content and applied it to a lot of content marketing effort around the, the launch of XT. Um, and uh, that kind of segued into a, a relationship with Telecom where we also had a crack at a, at a business community called um, Made From New Zealand. Um, and so that was kind of crazy. Uh, there was this massive commercial that was shot up on Santa Monica Beach of a whole bunch of Kiwis making a giant sandcastle of a fern and doing a haka as the sun goes down. (laughs) (laughs) And and huge huge community stuff with like the All Whites, hey, where you built like an enormous, enormous fan base and uh, did some really interesting pioneering kind of real-time video stuff to bring people into what it's like to be on campaign when you're, you're heading to massive events. I can make myself sound old, but we did that in 2010. Like there was, that, that was a long time ago. That was when the um, All Whites had qualified for um, the World Cup. And um, we were fortunate enough to know um, a couple of people inside of the organization. And we approached them with this idea. It's like, what if we um, embed somebody into uh, the team and just capture every moment on the way to the World Cup and then through the World Cup? Um, and they And they went for it. Uh, and we used it as a means to build a massive community with them because what we offered uh, viewers of the content was the opportunity to go a place that they'd never been before. This is before like all these behind the scenes television series and sports series had even come out. And and so we were in there deep with them in, in 2010 in their campaign to the World Cup. And we were producing seven, eight pieces of content that are really close to what people do with mobile content today. Um, back then, turning it around, uh, distributing it through social. It was really interesting because we were like, Facebook was kind of early back then. And, you know, it, it went from groups to pages, to groups and pages. And so we were kind of just off the back of the, the first group stage that they'd had when groups were big and they pivoted into pages. And people were telling us there's all this best practice around like, no, you know, you've got to only post once a day or twice a day. We're like, nah, stuff that, man. People want to see this shit. Let's go. And we were doing it like as many as we had, just like eight, nine a day. And people like Facebook people were contacting us going, oh, man, I think you should just try two. Or, you know, Google was saying, no, no, don't, don't put that many things on YouTube. Save it. It was like the thing that we wanted to do, though, is we wanted to make the uh, make the viewer feel like they were with the team. And, and, and in doing that, you know, um, again, engender this uh, commitment to the team to help, you know, um, build the brand. And, and we went in a couple of weeks from nothing to uh, over 100,000 followers um, on their Facebook. But then we set up a, a, a portal for them. We set up a, a, a video channel for them. And um, at the peak of their exploits in South Africa, that thing was that 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 
that um, portal, that, that web channel, was doing more traffic than the entire sports section of the New Zealand Herald. Because yeah, people just wanted to get on the journey. And we're like, whoa, this is crazy. And like, we just built it on some WordPress and just had some like gnarly little servers and like the thing kept on crashing. And we're like, buy more bandwidth, buy more bandwidth. And yeah, it was, it was absolutely nuts. Um, and we were fortunate enough after that experience, you know, play a pivotal part in, in helping them rebuild that football brand. Um, we produced a documentary off the back of all the content that we had called Undefeated that was the number one selling DVD in New Zealand that same Christmas. Um, and we also then were able to leverage that uh, uh, that credibility that we created with the All Whites into the 2011 season with the Canterbury Crusaders. And of course, on the first day of the Crusaders campaign, the earthquake struck, the big earthquake in February. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves again in this extraordinary set of circumstances um, with unprecedented access. And so, you know, being able to understand and, and have some, you know, um, uh, acuity around, you know, this, that sensory mental acuity around what's happening and be able to respond to what's going on, uh, I think is something that we've taken with us and I've taken with myself the whole way forward. Yeah, that passion for like storytelling and making things really human. Like at that same time, like one of your great passions being sport, uh, having these experiences, but also you've always had this passion for startups and entrepreneurialism, and um, haven't you? And like at the same time, you're starting to make uh, explainer videos for a tiny little accounting startup called Zero. Tell tell me about that <laughs> journey and like um, yeah, like I, I like living yeah. working in that same kind of industry. Like everyone was um, yeah, loved them because they had some charm and some wit, and they weren't just kind of the typical software kind of vibes. T tell me about getting involved with Zero and what, what, what it was like then. Uh, it was crazy then. Like we were doing all this crazy stuff around sports and like it wasn't making any money, but it was definitely um, a lot of fun to do. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was barely keeping the lights on. So that's why we started to branch out and look for client work. And um, the, the first video that we ever did with Zero, I think I saw it on YouTube the other day. It was about... Uh, at least 10 years ago <laughs> um, and it was for a, a, a baby um, a shampoo brand called Made for Baby and it was actually as a result of we did our first video for them because um, Telecom was a customer of ours at that time and they wanted to do a collab video um, with um, Zero, and so we went out and did it and they really liked what we did and that became the, the basis of the relationship so we, we actually produced all of Zero's um, initial content uh, for them when they first went to market. I think the thing that um, really helped uh, with the quirk and the charm of the early stuff that Zero produced um, was a real commitment to being a design-led um, organization. And um, Philip Fearlinger, uh, who um, maybe not so many people know of, but he was the head of design there. He's definitely known in the design world in, in New Zealand. And he just had a, an absolute commitment um, to really bringing um, this beautiful experience to life in, in every aspect of um, the Zero brand. Um, from you know the feeling that you get from using the UI and very simple features like um, bank rec on your mobile device, which he designed off the back of um, you know, the, the game that you play with your kids and matching up cards, you flip them over in pairs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the basis of Zero's bank reconciliation feature. 
Um, and so he had this commitment to um, design thinking and design-led approach that was highly iterative. And that iterative nature of that approach nearly killed us in the second video that we actually produced for them because I've never done so many revisions of one video in my entire life. It was, it was hectic, man. Like, I remember being on a call with him over the weekend and he just had this list of like second by second. Can you tweak this? Can you tweak that? Can you do this? I was just like, this dude is going to kill us. We, we still ain't going to make no money. <laughs> this is way too hard, y'all. And then we got through this process with him and goes, there it is. And he goes, yeah, that's perfect. And you know what? After that, he just let us go to it. And all we would ever receive was a brief, would deliver, and that was it because he knew that we had it after that process and we knew that we, we had it as well. So there was that level of commitment to each other and that now we've been through this, we, we know exactly how to represent this brand. That's what we do. But when we started with zeros, like back in the old bank building, I think it was like 90 employees. And when I left in my role, uh, Zero, uh, Global Director of Media, a little over eight months ago, it was like 2,200 2, employees. Uh, mm -hmm. like 2.2 million subscribers around the world. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey, but at the beginning, um, definitely that commitment to, you know, being design-led, design thinking, and just that commitment to your brand value and bringing that brand value to life, but like, you know, really, really sweating the detail on the execution um, is what I think, you know, helps set that brand up to have its difference in the long term. And once something's successful, everyone's like, you know, oh, of course it was always going to be successful. But like Zero was a total challenger brand and the media and the establishment, you know, like I, I think it's hard for people who weren't following the story to even grasp just how much was against Zero. Like no. uh, the whole establishment media was saying they'll never make it in the US. They're burning money. They're never going to be profitable. You know, um, Intuit will crush them and all the rest of this. Uh, mm. People were almost kind of like on the sidelines eating popcorn, willing them to fail in the establishment. And so this kind of plucky mm. challenger brand that was trying to make something exciting and, you know, that people loved, like that bank reconciliation feature that you mentioned. People loved that. But no one had tried to make something that people loved in accounting before. Like, mm. you know, what was it What was it like to be um, to be part of building that brand and part of building that kind of spirit uh, in the face of what was a lot of competition and a lot of people not really believing in it? Yeah, for so long, people would go, oh, you work for Zero? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's, oh, never mind. <laughs> You know, it won't ever make any money. And it's like, what are you talking about? I think just like, you know, there's there's multiple layers to that, right? There's first just the the um, the approach to scaling the business. And um, that's the first thing that we'd never seen before. You know, Rod had a vision from day one to, you know, build a global platform. And I remember having conversations with him early on and he was like, you know, accounting was just the fundamental thing. They, he wanted to create the... The platform for small business and then now that's what they talk about 10 years on but he was talking about that 10 years earlier so his vision was very clear but we'd never seen a business come out and then just be so focused on growth and not focused on delivering a dividend and so everything that the company had was reinvested into the people and into the product to build a global platform and that's what Rod knew, and that's what the directors of the board knew, and the organisation knew. That I don't think that the 
that the, the media, uh, the traditional media or the public had really cottoned on to. And then for so long, as you see zero continue to register losses, you just think, oh, this is, this is, this is never going to get there when um, actually behind the scenes. It was an incredible board, um, incredible leadership by Rod, who had engineered every step along the way and knew exactly where they were going and what they were doing. And, um, and so from that perspective, I just think it was a, a level of understanding that the New Zealand media had never seen this type of thing before. Um, but what was it like in, inside of the place? I mean, the culture in Zero has always been incredible. Um, you know, somebody that worked uh, as a partner to Zero for four and a half years, and I'd look in at the culture and, and, and the attitude of the people that were working there and their dedication to the mission was always like, holy smokes, these guys are like, this is, the, this is a cult in here. They are just so committed and actually they just got the blinkers on and the, they could give two shits about what the media says actually because they're on a global mission. Um, and then when you have that global focus, I, I think this, this like the, the local naysayers just kind of fade into the background and then just kind of disappear and you go about doing the mahi. And that's what those people were doing. But I've never seen, once I went in there, a place that actually lived its values um, to the extent that, that Zero did. Um, and Challenge was, you know, one of the big ones. Beautiful was another, Human was another. Like there's just all these wonderful um, values inside of the organization that were so embedded into the organization and people inherently knew what they meant um, to the extent that it became part of the vernacular, you know? So you're sitting in a meeting and you don't agree with somebody. Well, then it's just quite common for someone to go, yeah, I'll just challenge that. And then once the word challenge gets dropped, that's permission, um, you know, within reason to state your case of, of why you challenge it. And the other person knows, and because they're so familiar with the concept of challenge, nobody's like <laughs> taking deep breaths and getting all angry and like their eyes are starting to glaze over. They just know that, that that's just part of the process. Or, you know, somebody looks at a, a piece of content or a part of the UX or um, communications inside of um, customer experience team and they go, is that beautiful? And then that takes, you know, just, it's just that pause, it's, you know, cause to pause and go, yeah, is that beautiful? Does that match our beautiful value? Or, you know, if somebody takes it far, actually, are you being human? And so like it was embedded into the vernacular. So it was just lived inside out. And then, so what you see from that organization right now is um, an expression of the culture and the values that the people really believe in and then push out into the world. And that's evidenced by the work, that's evidenced by the product, it's evidenced by the way they go into different markets and attack the market. It's evidenced in every strand of every action that the organisation takes. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. Check it out through the spin-off. Kia ora, sorry for this interruption, it's Alice Neville here. I am the food editor at The Spin-Off and I just wanted to pop in and tell you about our food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Hosted by me, Simon Day and Sophie Gilmore, it celebrates all there is to know about eating and drinking. There's cooking tips, there's special guests, there's what we've been eating and drinking lately and we try not to chew into the microphone too much. So if you like food and drink, 
Listen in, you won't regret it. It's it's at thespinoff.co.nz and all your favourite podcast providers. Having been really integral in, you know, because it is so influential as a business here, like so many of the other local startups, like uh, places that I worked on were incredibly influenced by what was happening at Zero. We at Vend used to, we came in and saw you and got your advice on how to do things even, um, (laughs) you you know, which you were really um, generous in sharing, you know, like having been in such a place that's been so influential in business culture and in global vision and in having that kind of growth growth mindset, um, but also influential in kind of the way it told stories and the way it was a business-to-business brand, but it acted like a business-to-consumer brand and had that really friendly face and um, had, had all those human elements in its marketing and the way it, it, it communicated with um, with everyone. Like, it must have been a big uh, call to decide to kind of like jump, jump out after having done all that work, done mm. all the mahi to get it to a point where it was no longer a challenger brand and no longer battling against the odds, but had become like the, the, the globally acknowledged leader in what it did. So what's the question? Is it hard to leave? <laughs> <laughs> Must have been hard to leave. Yeah, yeah. What was the little manifesto, little ramble? Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, was it hard to leave? Or, you know, what, what um, made you decide to kind of move forwards? Um, I've always been a, a person that believes um, that, you know, everybody has their time and place in their journey and your opportunity in that time and that place and that moment to um, be the hero in that journey. And what you need to know is when that part of the journey has ended for you. And, um, you know, as the as the company became more, glo- uh, you know, dominant globally, and um, I'm definitely a challenger kind of a guy um, and it settled into a cadence that wasn't as orientated around that. That's not to say that they don't still challenge hard, but just, um, you know, it's got that global position of, of dominance now and, you know, the machine is a lot bigger and, you know, I just enjoy the cut and thrust of the pivot and the move and the response. And, you know, every day was like, you know, my team was across five regions around the world and there were just so many different challenges that we would face and, you know, to be able to engineer solutions on a daily basis that take you from, you know, San Francisco and then into Canada and then across the UK and Singapore. And the situations are all different. The scenarios are all different. Um, you know, that's a, a incredibly exhilarating. Uh, but then as the brand matures more, the organization matures more and the opportunities to really hardcore challenge and, and innovate in the nature that, you know, I'm best at then, um, you know, I had to check myself and just go, you know, am I still the guy? And I, I think that's a, um, you know, it's kind of a stark reality because it would be easy to hang around and like, don't get me wrong, the job was awesome. The money was awesome. The shares are awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all good, y'all. But like, you know, am I going to be that guy? I'm just going to be that dude, am I? And I'm like, nah, I'm not that guy, man. I'm not just going to stay here and collect this check, collect these shares, like just fat cat it. Like that's that's not who I am. I believe in challenge. I believe in disrupting the status quo wherever I can. So I'm just going to lie to myself like this and collect this money. Like, nah, stuff that. Um, I got to go. I got to do what's true to myself and like I love the team that I built my team was an amazing team of people around the world that did incredible work and 
was so integral in shaping the brand and its narrative. And I still like, we're still like family. We still hang. It's, it's just, if we need each other for anything anywhere in the world, we, we still have that connection. And that's because of the culture that we shared and the moments that we shared inside of that. But to be true to myself, I, I had to go. And so as tough as that was, and my wife did not accept it. Not, not even after the third time, I was like, I gotta go. And she's like, no, you don't. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and, and what was the what was the idea that that um, you worked through to 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 then bring into the world? Like, tell me about the birth of the idea behind Indigo, the agency that you co-founded out the back of that. <sighs> I love small business and the part of Zero's um, mission that I really identify with is a. a very strong belief that small business is the backbone of the economies of the world. Um, and more so than that, they are the fabric that holds our communities together um, through the jobs that they provide in local communities, through the way they support everything from the local school gala to raffles to the way they just get involved at, at ground level. Um, and I've re that's always really uh, resonated with me. And so, you know, in my role at Zero, I was fortunate enough to learn so much and get insight into so many different aspects of business growth and scale at the, at the highest levels of execution that I thought, you know, it would be so cool to be able to um, allow other organizations that, you know, have aspirations to do similar things to be able to leverage that um, expertise and be able to apply to this their, their smaller businesses to help them achieve whatever it is that success is and whatever it is that success means to them and so that was that was like what was in the back of my mind as i was sort of shaping up my decision to move is that i, I wanted to take these principles that i'd learned at zero and be able to apply them inside of businesses for their benefit but also a, a recognition that um, in my time there I'd also uh, really uh, developed a love for product development and because our team were sort of up the spine of the business and any new feature comes out if you want to tell a story about that feature we've got to be sitting in the room to understand what that feature is going to do and so I really developed a love for product development and a taste for it and so I also wanted the opportunity to be able to with the right opportunities um, when they come along to, to be able to take that knowledge and apply it to develop our own products or products in partnership with other people. And like, as I talk to people about what I wanted to do with Indigo, they're like, nah, you gotta be a services business or you gotta be a product company. I was like, yeah, that's conventional wisdom, but you know what stuff that, that doesn't make me happy. Like that's not gonna, that doesn't fire me up to get up every single morning. And what I know now from my time at zero, and I don't think many people have insight into, is that if you can build the right team around you, that human cap capability can enable you to do anything, right? And so that's really been our focus to get the right humans around us inside of Indigo so that we can move into the things that we want to move into when we want to move into them and understand that, yes, we can execute product to the highest level, but then off the back of that, we can also create a brand and a brand that engages people in a way that a product person doesn't get. And so you see this gap of so many product people that like have a beautiful product, but can't sell shit, bro. And so then there's that gap there. 
And so what we know how to bridge is we can create a beautiful product that speaks to like that pain in that moment and that problem, but also like we can build the brand around that to generate the sales and to and to give traction to the revenue aspects of, of that of that business, of that product or whatever it may be. And so that was the intent um, behind stepping out to, to, to launch Indigo. But reality is, yo, you gotta, you know, you've just left your big salary job, so wife wants to, you know, make sure that you can pay the mortgage and all of those things. So we initially just took on a bunch of service-based work um, and sort of just uh, bided our time for the right product opportunity to demonstrate our capability. And we've been so, um, you know, lucky. There were so many great people from around the world that just as soon as they found out I was leaving, just came to like, yo, want to do this thing? Want to do that thing? I was like, yep, yep, yeah, I'll do that. Yep, yep, yep. And so we were able to really quickly, you know, build a, a strong team, 14 people in just a, you know, a matter of months and, you know, with aspirations to do more and then wait for the right opportunity to, to kick into a couple of the product ideas that we had. And that team is out of control, you know, like you've got a bunch of amazing people that um, that you've brought together from people, uh, you know, who have been at the absolute pinnacle of, um, of of sports and high performance and excellence through to kind of um, the, the ex-CEO out of the ice house. Um, tell me a little bit about building that team and kind of, um, yeah, like, yeah, what, 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 what kind of special qualities people have who've, who've brought understanding from that super high performance kind of background. Mm. Yeah, so interesting one, like what I was conscious of when we were building Indigo is that um, we are a brand and um, I'm a big study of um, the development of all the world's largest brands from back in the day, right? So um, MTV and CNN and ESPN and really, um, observed and learned a lot from the way that they've developed their businesses, particularly around how they've um, taken big social shifts um, and uh, being able to leverage, you know, what was happening inside of technology at that point in time to really create um, a very special proposition that, you know, speaks to an audience in a new way that the technology enables. And that's what MTV and CNN and all those guys did with the with the creation of cable television, right? And, um, you know, MTV is really, really interesting model that I, um, you know, spent quite a bit of time researching and how they created demand for their service when it was, cable was in its, its infancy, you know, only a few boroughs in Manhattan could actually get cable. Um, but they leant into this big move in culture that was happening around people being able to make film versions of, um, of of the music that they were creating and they were calling these things music videos. And then so music was also already hugely popular, radio record, the whole deal. Um, but this this video was a new format. And, and then so the advent of cable enabled more people to get access to that um, new form of content. And, and that created demand amongst a really small audience that small audience demanded more, I want my MTV, and therefore it started to grow. And so what I was really conscious of with stories like that in the back of my mind is, how do I create a narrative around our brand at Indigo that builds mystery um, in the same way that um, those brands have built uh, mystery? And so, uh, you know, when, when we kicked off, we wanted to, to, to build that, that sense of, 
uh, that, that little bit of cult of celebrity, um, but but also this mystery around what the hell are those guys doing over there? Like I have no idea. And are, are they doing like some ESPN show or like what the hell are they doing? And that's exactly what we wanted to manufacture. And people were like, where's your website? We're like we don't have a website. We don't have one right now because we didn't want to let anybody kind of know what we were doing while we were doing what we were doing for the people that knew what we did, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and yeah. The, the dream team of people that you that you got together, like talk, talk me through some of those people. So Monty and I, Monty Beetham and I, um, Monty uh, Junior Beetham, he likes to be called, um, uh, we connected uh, through a training group that I was training with Monty. He needed some direction, what he wanted to do next. Um, I sort of directed him to working with a friend of his that was a, a dentist. And um, then he said, could you give me some advice to give to my mate? I did. His mate really liked it. Next thing you know, we've got our first client. We sort of thought, oh, I wonder if we could repeat that. And so we gave it another crack and hello, we got another one. And so that was sort of the segue into it. But, you know, Monty, what we've learned is um, just, it's, it's a very simple rule. Uh, when Monty Beetham calls, you pick up. And if he sees you, <laughs> and if Monty Beetham says, hey, bro, I want to meet, you meet. <laughs> and I, I, it's just something beautiful in the simplicity. Like, I, like, I don't know, I, I've had other businesses where you had to cold call and do stuff and people wouldn't pick up or all that type of thing. And so it seems that we just found a way to hack business development. And so that was really the insight that we took in to um, bring other people into the team that not only built the brand, um, but also gave us this um, ability to get unprecedented levels of access. And while these guys were in the room, it also postured further my capability and what I brought to the table and expertise with Zero, And it creates this just incredible dynamic um, inside of the room where uh, the client feels honored to be in the room with these incredible people, these people that you know done so much on the sports field and entertained us for years. And they're also getting access to, you know, leading edge insight and expertise. And, um, yeah, the dynamic that that creates is quite special. And the thing for, um, for Monty, um, and also then, uh, Roger, Roger Tuivasa Sheik is a partner in the business. Um, then for also for, um, Adi Savia, who's a partner in the business and, and also for Dylan Boucher, who's come in to work in the partnership team with Monty. So they're all really smart guys. Dylan had already segued into a professional career, but um, definitely Artie and Roger are thinking about what's next. And Artie's an incredible creative. I mean, if anybody's seen the content that he's been putting out while we've all been in lockdown, it's absolutely amazing. The guy's an incredible creative. And so what he sees is the ability for him to develop his second act um, as a creative leader, as a creative director. Um, Roger is astute. He is so astute and uh, he's a killer in these business meetings. I tell you, so incisive, clear point of view, can bring context to high performance to any situation. And um, he has a passion for business. And so that's the journey he's on with us as well. And Monty is absolutely the same. And we have this just internal um, catch call around the places that, you know, this is, this is their second act. And they all kind of want to be remembered as, you know, oh, there's Monty Beatham. I remember him. He's a businessman, but I think he might have played rugby league. 
or like for Artie, like I think you, I think he, he's a businessman, he's a creative, but I think he might have been at the All Blacks, or I'm, I'm not sure. So they're into their second act right now. While they know they got to put food on the table and do their best as sportsmen, um, yeah, they they are genuinely thinking about what's next, and I think incredibly smart and astute for doing that as well. Yeah, and when you look at people like if you hear people like David Kirk or. Magic Johnson, you know, who have gone on to parlay that same skill set uh, of high performance into amazing success in the business world. A lot of what they talk about, especially Magic Johnson, who's fantastic to listen to, is these ideas of kind of like you're, you know, you've got to, you've got to perform. You know, like there's no, there's no fibbing a scoreline, and there's, you know, what you've actually delivered, and that's something that's quite interesting in kind of um, the Manaki projects that you've got up and going. And that, you know, you had the idea, you turned it around, and then it's out there for people to see and interact with and, and see the results of what the work is. Yeah, I mean, Monarchy is super interesting because, um, you know, it came out of just conversations that myself and Andy Hamilton, who is the, you know, the founding CEO of the Ice House, and that organization has been responsible for bringing, you know, companies through their doors that have gone on to create thousands of jobs inside of New Zealand and around the world. And so... I sort of set my sights on him when I heard a, a little bit of a rumor on the on the Kumara vine that he might be um, looking for uh, something else and thinking about moving on. So I, I quietly said to Monta, I think I'm, I'm going to try and uh, get Andy in on, on uh, Indigo. And so it took a good six months. And what was irresistible for him about what we're doing is just the energy that we have inside of our organization. And it's just so different from the typical like before COVID, if you walked into our office, our culture is everybody stands up. They come and greet you. Like they'll give you a hug. They'll give you a hongi. They'll pound it. They're like, but everybody stands up, bro. Nobody sits down and just looks at their work and waves. Everybody stands up. They walk from wherever they are and they come in and they greet you. And that human touch and that energy and just the banter and all the stuff that we have going on and inside that culture is... It's really cool. So that energy was irresistible for him, and that's how we got him on board with us. But we had both been talking in the lead up to, um, you know, the lockdown and COVID becoming more and more um, prevalent that, um, like, quite rightly, everybody was focused on the number, the number of cases and stemming the number of cases into the country. But as somebody that's passionate about small business, and he is too, we're like, man, I think the impact is, is going to be pretty great on small businesses in this country. And um, then we felt the impact. In a, in a matter of days, we lost a, over half a million dollars worth of business that had been lined up. Lost investment, like it just disappeared, bro. It was gone. And we're like, holy shit, what do we do now? Like so many other business people. And fortunately, we had access to great advice, enabled us to get reset, you know, find that new basis that you can operate on, eliminate all those unnecessary expenses make a hardcore commitment to make nobody redundant, do everything you can to keep everybody employed. And so in going through that process in a matter of hours, you know, we looked around and we thought, where's the visibility for this challenge? Like we're like, I know other small businesses must be going through it. How are they getting help? We're just really fortunate. How are they getting help? And so as it became more and more obvious that there wasn't a clear answer to that question, we kind of, you know, I actually started to feel sick about it because it was like, oh, I can't believe I'm even thinking of this shit right now. I don't even, this is not the time to launch a startup product. Like I must be flipping mad, but there are so many people out there that need help right now. 
and it's just not in me to not do something. And we say we're an innovation and design company. Well, innovate now, mofo. Show that you can do it or just, you know, put up or just shut up. Stop calling yourself that. And so that was it, the, the challenge internally. And so I just started moving wheels and tried, okay, what's the essence of what needs to happen here? And it's a very simple interaction between a person that needs help and somebody that is best positioned to give them that help. And we're very fortunate that Andy has an incredible, um, you know, advisor base of people that he's interacted with over the years. And, you know, everybody knows him in New Zealand business. And so we decided to go and it was just like, okay, bro, you need to get every expert that you can onto this platform that we don't have now that we're going to build in the next three days and make them believe that we can get small businesses here so that we can help them. We're going to engineer this brand. This is what we're going to do for the marketing process. We're going to leverage this type of creative to create mystery around this thing. People are going to plaster the internet, make it red. Everyone's going, what the hell's monarchy? We're going to hit it with LinkedIn first, then we'll segue into Facebook later where the small businesses are. Blah, 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 blah. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, let's go. And then we just went. And so it was a, it was a Thursday when we decided to go. It got designed on Thursday uh, into Friday. We handed it uh, to a dev and we had to keep our own business going and we didn't have the capability. And we tried a couple of local companies and they were just like, everybody was just on that money thing and quite rightly so. So we ended up finding a guy on Upwork who lives in Prague and like had incredible credentials. And um, we found him and he agreed to build it. And so this dude in Prague was building the site <laughs> over the course of the weekend while our designers are spitting out XD templates and sending them over to them. And then he's releasing and then we're QA, QAing the thing. And in the background, we're building this Monarchy brand and planning the strategy. And then eventually we get to Tuesday and we're like, okay, I think we're ready to go. Will it hold up? I don't know. We put it on AWS. I think we're okay. And then we said, okay, let's go. And then we flipped the switch on Wednesday. Every advisor had a red tile. Um, Monty, Adi, uh, Roger, Dylan came into their own because they tapped everybody that they knew on social media. All of a sudden, every influencer in the country had a red tile that they were pushing out um, via Instagram to help small businesses. And that was the call. Let's go, Manaki. let's Manaki these small businesses. Let's show them that we care. Let's show them that we're here. Let's show them we're going to be here once this is all done. And we just pushed it as hard as we could. And um, thankfully, everything stood up. Um, certainly, there's been a, a, a few little um, bumps in the road, particularly with the platform and different things around usability that aren't beautiful. But we think we've got to a place now where we're, we've established something. We're getting on average a sort of a thousand small businesses through the site, you know, lots of people. Um, reading content on there as well, multiple page views to every individual user coming through. And, um, you know, I was so proud this morning when I got up at 5 a.m. this morning, went to the mobile site. The mobile site UX was so much better than a week ago. And there are all these incredible questions that had come through. And there was all these amazing answers from the country's leading business experts and business leaders. And I was just like so proud. I was just so happy in the mahi that we'd done. That's totally, totally amazing. Like the, the quality of the people that you've got on there, like from, you know, the pe people who are well known for advice through to people who are like long term workers in kind of key roles that are, you know, on the coalface uh, through to some of like the biggest names, like 
you know, the, the people behind Lewis Road Creamery, you know, like, you know, like advertising geniuses um, and people with really practical skills as well. Like, you know, if someone's like, how can I actually just solve this rent issue that I've got on at the moment? Um, and yeah, how, how can people get involved with it if they're listening and they want to talk to some of these, you know, put a question forward to some of these people? It's so easy and it had to be so easy, right? Um, and all you do is you go to the you go to the site, you can check it out on your uh, manaki.io, uh, so that's three A's, M-A-N-A-A-K-I.io, and um, just go there, post a question, and um, notifications are all set up, the experts get them, try and post it in a category that's specific to the, the um, challenge that you're currently facing, and um, yeah, they get the notification, they come back, it's just, it's just that easy. It's really super simple, and we're so grateful to them all. There's over... 125 um, expert advisors on there uh, who are, you know, the caliber of those people that you've just spoken about. Um, we're preparing for a big push next week. We've, we've written a love letter to small businesses that has been, um, had contributions from a, a lot of incredible New Zealanders that we're going to release um, next week at a really large scale um, because we need to help more small businesses and we want to get out into the region. So we have been incredibly uh, fortunate that the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, and the board of the IAB have got behind us. And so um, all the biggest media companies and Facebook and Google have all gotten behind us now. And so next week we go into a big push to take this down the country to help more small businesses. So we're, we're excited um, and we're hopeful that, that we can do the job that we need to for small businesses and just help them navigate through because it's about our communities, it's about our whanau, it's about our families, it's about our tamariki, it's about our children. That's what the table stakes are here. It's not just about business and then we're going to stay in business. That's what the outcomes are. That's where the effect will be felt if if, if it gets too bad out there. So this is the little bit that we can do. We know the challenges are much bigger than the thing that we're putting up, but we want to play some part in you know helping manaki these businesses through and navigate this period of time. And this concept of manaki, this idea, like how how important is it to your business to be able to advance kind of um, kopapa Māori, like ideas that are, are important for everyone? Because you've got quite an amazingly stacked team of Māori and Pacific leadership, high uh, you know high achievement excellence. Um, what, what what's the importance of that kind of extra lens and that extra understanding in the business? Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, um, the the you're, you're right. We do have a real diverse um, group of backgrounds, uh, ethnicities in our in our team um, that have all performed at the highest level. We are trying to uh, make a statement around what the possibility is for our people, Pacifica people, um, and we take that seriously as well. We're proud of our cultural heritage, be it Tongan, Samoan, Maori. Um, you know, European, Kiwi, whatever the case may be. And it's in that diversity and it's in that richness of different cultures and different views that we bring together and the way that we uh, are able to collaborate and, and combine that into this rich tapestry of ideas that, you know, and points of view and attitudes that we then focus on the problem that I think really gives us our difference. But I'm also incredibly proud that we have these other frameworks that we can call on that are are not uh, the typical framework that exists inside of, of um, 
the, the, the creative world or the, the world of business growth and, and innovation. And they are unique to the indigeneity of the people that are part of the team. And I just look at my children every day who have been raised in Maori medium education. They have a Maori worldview. And I know that that worldview is fundamentally different from the worldview of somebody that hasn't been raised that way. And so we have members of the Muslim community that are part of our team. And so, you know, all those worldviews come together and, um, and, and it creates something really special. And I know, you know, you talk about diversity and inclusion and it's rah, 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 and it's a little bit tick box and it's, you know, increasingly it's starting to get more traction in, in the true sense of what it could be. But I've seen the richness of what it could be because my team in Zero, when I was there, you know, it was about 109 people in our part of the organization and the difference of cultures and ethnicities. If you talk about something that gives that organization at the, the edge in my part of the world that I was in, it was that was that cultural diversity and that difference. And so that's what we're bringing in to um, Indigo, that difference of all those views and being able to apply that layer of culture richness. Because otherwise, you know, I think that it, 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 from my perspective, as somebody that's always pushing for more, that wants to break the next barrier, break through the next wall, I'm looking for that thing that gives us a little bit extra than everybody else because that's the thing I think will make the difference. And that culture, those cultural frameworks are, I think, a big part of it. Yeah, so cool to see that um, the melding of kind of startup cultural frameworks with ideas from Te Ao Māori through to kind of traditional kind of like high performance as well, all coming into um, to, to one kind of melting pot. Um, yeah, I take a lot couple... of, oh, sorry, I take a lot of pride um, in the fact that uh, the name of this platform that we've created is Manaki because it's for all of New Zealand and it's it's a, a very uh, practical, very visual, very real representation of a, a cultural dynamic, a tenant of my culture that it gives people a, a deeper uh, understanding of, you know, an opportunity to learn what it's all about. It's not just a word. It's not just about caring. This is how you express it. This is how it can be expressed. And oh, look, we have the country's leading business minds that have entered into the spirit of manaki. And I find, I find that incredibly satisfying. Yeah, a couple of questions at the end, you know, like so, so called that idea of concept and action together, eh? Like, um, what, what advice would you have for someone who is thinking about kind of um, making the leap and starting an idea that's been kind of working away inside them as something that they'd like to do? Uh, don't do it. <laughs> That's my advice, unless, don't do it unless, um, uh, you know, you've really, really, really tested it and truly believe that you've captured the essence of not just the pain, but like a moment in time when this pain is most relevant and that you can deliver into it in a way that's exceptional and entirely different from the status quo. That's the only way that you're going to stand out in the midst of this. Um, is is th that's my belief. Like you have to desire to um, do whatever it is that you're going to do, whether it's open a cafe down the street or a laundry mat or the next big technology platform. Um, you have to be able to, uh, you know, to use another gimmicky term, but you have to be able to strongly differentiate from everybody else that's out there. You have to find that magic, that pixie dust that separates you from everybody else 
really nail it and then learn how you're going to express it. They call it product market fit, but like, <laughs> you know, how you're going to capture the essence of that market with that product inside of that um, pain, inside of that moment. I think the moment is different. Like everybody talks about product market fit and it's a customer, it's the market, but timing has also been so big as it's been shown to be throughout the course of history, right? And so, you know, can you track how your market and the trends in your market is moving is do you foresee that there's something big on the horizon is it a technology shift is it a cultural shift is it a shift in i don't know whatever it could be whatever's unique to your understanding of that particular situation and then in that time strike like lightning that's i it. love it yeah why this why now uh, and um the last thing that we love to ask is like you know having had um a hand and a bunch of like super successful results you know like what's your view on what success will be for you both professionally and personally um success for me uh personally will be um watching my children uh, my two boys grow up to be um, really great men that represent uh, what the future of our country could look like as young men that are fluent in te reo maori but able to operate and walk through the, the mainstream world, the commercial world, and um, you know, operate and contribute to society at the highest level, that that will make me really happy. And whatever their pursuit is, you know, that that's that's personal satisfaction um, for me. The other part of that is to see my wife um, happy and live a fulfilled life and to fulfill all her goals as a as a woman. Um, and, and as a business person, as a community leader and a member of her iwi and what she wants to achieve there. That's for me personally, uh, those are the biggest things. And on a business perspective, uh, I want to uh, play an integral role in helping businesses that want to change the world, change the world. And so that's where we're really leaning into right now with Indigo is that um, we are so thankful and thank you for everybody that has supported us from those very large corporates to everybody else that's got behind us right now. What you're gonna see us do now is we're just gonna really focus on companies that have a vision um, that we believe in that's gonna help the world be a, a better place, um, commercially successful, but also you know that, that can kind of reconcile the social with the commercial as well. So I don't think those two things have to be at odds and shouldn't be at odds in, anymore. So we want to work with those people. So if you're one of those people, come check us out. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. That's Pat McPhee of Indigo and also uh, one of the driving forces behind Manaki.io, which you can go to check out and get advice from some of the top business people to face these times that we're in now. Thank you so much for sharing your story today, Pat. Let's go, brother. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, having us along and listening. Thank you, Tina Tiller, for producing. And uh, yeah, if you do have any people that you'd love to hear from at this time, hit me up on Twitter. It's at Simon underscore pound. Thanks there. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spinoff and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz.
dorthin seht. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.